If you can take your Bibles and turn to that passage that was read to us a little bit earlier, Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 25 to 32, the the second half uh, of this parable of the prodigal son, uh, as it's most commonly known, but as we're looking at the parable of the lost sons. This morning we come to focus on the other, the other lost son. So please keep your Bible open. We won't read it again, but we'll work our way through it uh, as we get to those portions in the, in the message. I have uh, a book on my bookshelf, one of the books on the parables uh, of Jesus, that is called A Sting in the Tail. Uh, because although the parables of Jesus are easy to understand stories, they're taken from everyday life, nevertheless often the parables come with a real sting in the tail, uh, an unexpected twist which catches us off guard, and, and that is by design. And, and we see this uh, most clearly in the parable of the prodigal son, more than any of the other parables of Jesus. And so as we come to continue this uh, series, just let me remind you again of the context into which Jesus was speaking or telling this parable. So please turn back to Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. We looked at this last week and the week before uh, as the context to these three parables. In verse 1 we read, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And we know that chapter 14 verse 25 says that this was large crowds, large crowds then of these sinners were drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and, and eats with them. And so it's really into this emotionally and religiously charged situation that Jesus tells the Pharisees three parables. They are the target really in terms of these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then as we looked at last time, the parable of the lost son. And I'm sure that by the time we get to verse 24, the Pharisees must have started to get the message. God loves sinners. God will go to incredible lengths to search out the lost who are his own. He will seek them as we saw until he finds them and then he will bring them home rejoicing. The heart of God is so full of love for the lost that he will even, as we saw last week, welcome back home those who would be considered the worst of sinners. Those who had rejected God to his face, wished God to be dead, who took the blessing of God and then squandered it on sinful living, and yet those who returned back to their senses and returned back to their father. We see that God is eagerly waiting for them, and we'll look at the Father in more detail next time, but He's ready and He's willing to forgive every repentant sinner and to welcome them home with free and and unconditional love. So at this point, you can almost expect the Pharisees to yawn and say, all right, Jesus, you've made your point. God loves lost sinners. We, We get it. But fortunately, we are not such lost sinners. We are the religious Jews. So imagine how much more God must love us. Well, it's at this point in the parable that that Jesus takes this unexpected and dramatic turn. And in verse 25 to 32, we really do have the sting in the tail. One commentator says, This parable was not primarily designed 
as an encouragement or a therapeutic word of comfort to those sinners that Jesus was eating with. No, this parable was primarily a stealth bomber charged with the mission of exploding the complacency of those so-called saints who were criticizing Jesus for eating with the sinners. And so Jesus really for, for three parables has been flying this undercover mission, drawing the Pharisees in with three wonderful stories about God's love for the lost. And now, in a sense, he's ready to deliver the payload, which is intended to confront the Pharisees with the reality that they are the ones who are actually lost, more lost, in fact, than the tax collectors and the, the sinners whom they despised. And so last week we looked at the lost son, and this morning we're going to focus our attention now on the other lost son, and to see that his predicament is in actual fact worse than the predicament of the prodigal. So the scene in verse 25 is this, the younger brother has come home, he's been welcomed back by the father, and they are all inside the house, and they are celebrating there is music, there's dancing, the, the fattened calf has been killed and prepared for this joyous occasion. And the reason is given to us in verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And then immediately in verse 25, we read now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Just try and put yourself into the older brother's shoes for a moment. Your younger brother has brought social disgrace on the family. He's taken his share of the property and he sold it for cash. And then he went and squandered it on wild living in a pagan land. And now he returns home and he's enjoying a huge celebration in his favor. And so the older brother is furious. He's furious. He refuses to go into the house, even though the father comes out and, and pleads with him to come back in. Now, what is going on in your heart as you think about this situation? Do you perhaps sympathize with the older brother? Maybe you even fully support him at this point. Well, I hope you realize that there is something sinister going on here, which Jesus wants to expose. And so let's look and see what is going on in his heart. But as we do so, I want us to keep in mind that the parables of Jesus are meant to teach us spiritual lessons. They're meant to teach us about our hearts. And so as we go through this parable, let's keep asking the question, what is Jesus trying to teach me? What is he trying to teach you about our hearts towards God through this story? And the first thing that I want us to see about the lost older brother is that he resents submitting to his father in verse 29. I'm going to read verse 29 to you from the New English translation, which I think captures the essence uh, very clearly. Look, these many years I have worked like a slave for you 
and I never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Now, the key to his resentment here is seen in the way that he addresses his father in the light of the situation with his younger brother. As the older son, it would have been his duty and responsibility to host the family parties. He should have been there to welcome the guests and to make sure that all the provisions were in order. The culture of the day would have required him to be the master of ceremonies. So not only does he refuse to go in and do his duty, but he treats his father with a similar tone of disrespect that the younger brother had at the beginning of the parable. As the father comes out and pleads with the older brother to to come into the party and to celebrate the return of his lost younger brother, the older brother responds with this tone of deep resentment towards the father. Just like his brother earlier, he does not address the father with honor and dignity. He simply responds with the word, look, look exclamation mark. I think today would be translated like, you listen here. It's, it's confrontational. There's a tone of, of disrespect and lack of honor for the father. He directly enters into an argument with his father without even addressing him by his proper title. Now contrast that back to verse 21 when the prodigal son came home from the pigsty of the mess of the life that he had lived. Look at what he says in verse 21. Father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's there's honor, there's humility and respect in the way that the youngest son now addresses the father, which is totally missing in the older brother. Rather, we find in this older brother a resentment to the father, which displays itself in the arrogant way that he confronts his father uh, outside. And so as we think about this first point, practically for us this morning, what is Jesus perhaps seeking to expose in our hearts as we come to this passage today? And the immediate application that comes to mind here is our attitude to God in prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he taught us to come before God and to call on him as our heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. May you be glorified. May you be honored in the world and in my life. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that what Jesus taught us to pray is that we are firstly to to worship and honor God as our heavenly Father, and then we are to submit our will to His will, to His supreme will, His will which is reigning in heaven, that everything would be done in our own lives, in our own hearts, as we submit and honor Him. But the heart of the older brother type of Christian is a heart which comes to God with resentment. It's a heart which comes to God with demands, a heart which feels that somehow God owes me. I think on the one hand today we see this attitude in the much of the kind of name it and claim it type of praying that we see in certain circles of Christianity. I've literally seen preachers on television commanding God to do what they tell Him to do. 
But I think it also comes much closer to home, doesn't it? In our own praying, where if we are honest, how much of our praying is not me-centered? And sometimes we often express our frustration and our anger with God for not having answered us the way we wanted Him to. So there's a resentment towards God. No, says Jesus, if you come to God in prayer with even a hint of resentment in your heart, in having to submit to Him as your Lord and as your Father, thinking that somehow God is is holding out on you, then be careful. Be careful that perhaps you are not as spiritually healthy as you thought. Perhaps there is the spirit of the older brother at work in your heart. But secondly, we see that the older brother, he resents serving the father in verse 29. We see this again. He says, look, these many years I have worked like a slave for you. The Greek literally says, look, these many years I have slaved for you. I've slaved for you. Do you see what's really going on here? This older brother, he's hardworking, loyal, upright, moral, consistent, faithful. He's been working hard for his father all these years, not as a grateful son, in thankful service of a loving and caring and providing father, but he's worked for his father like a slave who was simply going through the motions, but whose heart was increasingly growing resentful and bitter towards his father. He had lost the understanding of sonship. He did not realize the incredible privilege which it was to be able to serve the father. For him, he had turned the responsibilities of sonship into the duties of slavery. One commentator puts it like this. He says, service, rightly understood, serving God he's referring to, rightly understood, is a privilege. When we properly serve God, we do so out of gratitude, not for reward. Rewards there are in this life and rewards there shall be in eternity. But rewards don't provide the motive for service. Grace does. Now if you have no idea what I've just said there, then you are most likely suffering from older brother syndrome. And so when we think of this point spiritually and practically for ourselves this morning, we have to examine our own hearts. And we have to ask, what kind of attitude do we have in serving God? Is it one of slavery or sonship? Look at the younger brother again. Go back to verse 19. He came to realize that sonship was a privilege, the greatest of all privileges, one which he no longer deserved, and yet it was a privilege of the highest order of blessing. And so his attitude of repentance is motivated by his desire to to be as close to the Father as possible. He knows he, he can't demand the rights of sonship anymore. He's given that up when he walked away. So he comes back to depend on his Father's grace, realizing he does not deserve the title of son, but he's willing and eager to receive the title of servant. Just to be back in a relationship with the Father and to receive from His Father His love and His provision. The true heart of a son is seen in the prodigal who returned. 
He was eager to become the father's servant in order to get back to the father. But the older brother reveals that he is actually the one who is a slave at heart because he didn't really want the father. He also just wanted the father's stuff. And so what is your attitude to serving God today? Do you perhaps feel, you know, I've, I've served God for short or for long, and guess what? It didn't pay off. I didn't get the, the happy life of prosperity that someone promised me if I became a Christian. I didn't get the, the recognition and the appreciation that I'd hoped for in serving God. And so there's a spirit of resentment which starts to develop. You resent the fact that you've perhaps given up so much stuff to, to serve God, and where are the rewards? Where's it got you? Or do you see serving God as the most incredible privilege in all the world? To, to have the opportunity to serve the King of Kings, the ruler over all thrones and presidents and cabinets and kingdoms and governments, to be about his work on a, a daily basis. Not because you're going to get a reward, but because you are his son, you are his daughter, and there is no greater privilege in all the world than to come and to serve the one and only true God. What does that look like practically? Well, your attitude to serving God in the church as a door steward or info desk or flower duty or parking attendant or, or hand sanitizer. It's a very accurate thermometer of your spiritual health. Your attitude to serving God reveals which kind of brother you are. Are you a son or are you a slave? In the third place, we see that the older brother, he resents obeying the father again in verse 29 he says look these many years i've worked like a slave for you and i never disobeyed your commands now, that could be a positive statement but it's not said in a positive light here. this really starts to to get down to the heart of the matter this morning and it's it's the one true test to see if you are found a found younger brother who's returned or a lost older brother and it's your attitude to obeying the commands of God. You see, the, the first two points that, that I've looked at there are fairly easy to fake. It's quite easy to fake respect and honor and outward submission to God by coming to church and saying all the right things. You can fake it quite easily. It's also quite easy to dodge the whole service issue simply being too busy, my work, my career, my family, it all results in me too busy to, to serve God. I'm too comfortable to just stay at home on a Sunday and watch the online service. Or perhaps you only ever serve God by doing the things that you love doing anyway. So for example, you may love playing music, and so you serve God in the worship team. Or you may love cooking and, and socializing, and so you serve God through the meals and hospitality ministry of the church. You love children, and so you serve God in the children's ministry. Now, hang on, there's nothing wrong 
with serving God in the area of your gifting. We are all given gifts and things that we are good at and things that we are enjoy, and we can use those gifts to serve God. That's a blessing. But it is also an easy way to actually avoid truly serving God in the areas which are messy and uncomfortable. And so we can think that we're serving God when in actual fact we are only serving ourselves and our own interests and our own enjoyments and the church just happens to be the place that gives us the opportunity. And so we can fake the first two and we can persuade ourselves and we can persuade others that we are true sons of God. But when we come to this point, we have to nail our true colors to the mast. Do you resent having to obey the Father's commands? All of them. Clearly, the older brother did. He says, all these years I've slaved for you and never disobeyed a single command of yours and what did I get in return? Not even a goat, so that I could have a party with my friends. Do you see what the underlying motivation of the older brother was? Do you see that he was actually no different from the younger brother at the beginning of the parable? Both brothers really just wanted the father's stuff. Neither wanted the father. They both wanted the father's real estate, but neither wanted the father's relationship. They just went about getting the father's stuff in very different ways. One through rebellion and the other through conformity. Now we know that the older brother's claim to perfect obedience is simply false because of the way that he was currently treating his father with disrespect and defiance to the father's pleading to come in to the celebration of his brother. But let's not be too hard on this guy. In all likelihood, he was a model son. He was hardworking, he was obedient, he was loyal. We see that he was coming in from the fields as a farmer quite late in the evening, and his father seems to be very appreciative of the son and all his hard work. But the issue here is not the older son's actions. The issue here is his attitude. It's, it's the motives of his heart. He resents the obedience that he has given to the father all these years. Because according to his calculations, his obedience had, given him, had not given him sorry, the reward that he believed he deserved. And so he has a, a self-righteous spirit of entitlement which by his assessment puts God into his debt. The father owed him. So let's contrast this resentful obedience of the older brother with the newfound attitude of the younger brother. The younger brother comes back from, from the pigsty of life and he begs his father to make him into what? A servant, someone who will obey the father. He desired to be back in a relationship of servanthood, of obedience to the Father, of serving the Father, no longer as a son, but just as a hireling. So let's turn the spotlight now off the two sons for a moment and, and onto ourselves this morning. What is this third point revealing to us about our heart attitude or our motivations towards obedience to God's commands? Is your obedience to God begrudging? Is it resentful? Is it perhaps partial? 
Are you upset like the older brother that others get to have all the fun? Although we now know where that led to, the devastation that it led to. Is there an attitude of a disgruntled slave in your obedience or one of a privileged son? Well, let's see what the psalmist teaches is the heart attitude of a true son, a true daughter of God to the commands of God. And let God's word examine and expose your heart as I read this. I'm going to just read a selection of verses from the Psalms. Psalm 1 verse 1, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19 verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey, honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight in as much as all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. Fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wondrous things in your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I find my delight in your commandments which I love. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver coins. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Do I need to continue? I'm only halfway through Psalm 119, by the way. So he has a very simple test for us this morning. Is your response to the laws and the commands and the rules and the statutes of God more like the older brother or more like the psalmist and the younger brother. Only you know your heart this morning. Only you know how much you resent the Lord's commands or how much you love them. Only you know how much you look for loopholes around them or how much you delight in obeying them. And what you find as you examine your heart today in the light of the rules and the commands and the statutes and the laws of the Lord determines 
which brother you really are. So in the final place then, we see that the older brother, he resents the grace of the father. And this really is the greatest sin of the older brother. It's the root problem of his heart, which has resulted in all the other resentments that we've looked at. Look at verse 30. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. What is really bothering this older brother? Deep down in his heart. It was that the father was treating the younger brother with grace. And not according to his sin. Now this is sadly the ugliest part of this older brother syndrome. Namely the rejection of God's grace. And it manifests itself here not only in resentment to the Father, but also in resentment to the one who is the recipient of God's grace, of the Father's grace. Notice how he refers to his brother as this son of yours. In other words, the person you brought into the world, the person that you gave into, he's not my brother. I'm better than that. But in saying to the father that he no longer considered his brother to be his brother, by implication he was also rejecting the fatherhood of his father. The father's grace to the younger brother is what finally reveals the true lostness of the older brother. And he effectively here disowns his father. The younger brother at the beginning wished his father was dead. Here he says to his father, you're not my father. So we see that there is a sin underneath the sin. And we need to identify that this morning. Yes, we've considered the terrible sin here of resentment. Resentment of submitting to the Father, resentment of serving the Father, resentment to obeying the Father. But there is a sin underneath the sin of resentment, and that is the sin of human pride. You see, the issue of pride in this case, is the root sin underneath all the other sins of this older brother Christianity. Because older brother Christianity is based on my performance. It's based on my observing the rules and regulations which make me feel that God owes me. God owes me something because I've obeyed Him like a good little boy or a good little girl. The root sin of human pride is what fuels this attitude of self-righteousness which we see in the older brother. It fuels this attitude of arrogance towards the father, judgmentalism, not only towards his younger brother, but even towards the father. You see, the minute we try to define our acceptance before God on the basis of our religious performance, our morality, our good works, we will very quickly start to find ourselves condemning and judging those who are not as religious, who are not as good as we think we are. And we will find ourselves resenting God when we see people less religious, less moral, less good than us, being accepted by God and receiving His abundant blessings. And so again this morning, we need to come to the Scriptures and examine our own hearts before the Lord. We need to allow the Word of God to, to shine into our hearts and to expose the, the underlying root attitude of pride. 
So let me give you a simple test, and I'm almost done. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or to shout out the answer. Please don't. Just consider your gut instinct this morning to this little test. Okay, are you ready? I want you to think of the most horrible person that you know personally. Someone who perhaps has, has openly been hurtful to you, who perhaps has injured you physically or emotionally or financially. Perhaps someone who you know is openly and actively living in sin. The person that you would least like to be associated with. Okay, have you all got someone in mind? Now let's rewind the clock to 7.55 this morning. As you arrived at church and you came into the service and you walked to the usual seat where you sit every week. Yes, you know which seat that is. And you look up and this person is sitting in your seat. What is your initial gut response in that moment? Is it something along the lines of what is he doing here? How dare he come into my church and sit in my seat, that scoundrel? Perhaps it's, who does she think she is coming to church? This is no place for a person like her. What a hypocrite. Perhaps you think, I can't believe our pastor actually let this person in. Doesn't he know what kind of a person they are? If he lets them in again, I'm out of here. You get the idea. You can put your own spin on the kind of things that I've just mentioned. Now, if you identify even just a little with those feelings this morning, then I want to propose that God's word is exposing your heart as suffering from older brother syndrome. Your real issue is one of pride, which resents the grace of God in the life of someone who you think doesn't deserve it. You resent the idea that that person who's caused you so much hurt and so much pain is now seeking acceptance with God, is seeking the blessings of God, which you believe are limited to those who deserve it, people just like you. But if you walked into church at 7.55 this morning and you saw that person sitting in your seat and your initial gut response was one of great excitement and joy and anticipation that perhaps God has worked His grace in that person's heart just the same as He worked His grace in your heart. You are ready to celebrate and give thanks to God for His undeserved favor shown to that person by, by bringing them into church then you can be assured this morning that the reality of the gospel, an understanding of God's grace, has begun to sink down deep into your heart. And you are growing in your love for Christ and your appreciation of the gospel each day. So I must conclude, and we're going to just press pause on this parable for a week uh, as Peter Watson will be bringing us God's word next week, and I want to urge you to come back as we come to look at some wonderful lessons from the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 to 50 next week. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to continue with part three 
of this parable as we consider the Father, as we consider His attitude towards both of His lost sons. But before we end today, we cannot miss the cliffhanger on which this parable ends. See, the youngest son, the prodigal son, he's returned to the father. He's repented. He's been accepted back as a son, welcomed unconditionally into a relationship of sonship with the father. That was great news last week. But what about the older brother? Does he respond to the father's pleading to come in and rejoice? Does he realize that he is actually just as lost as his younger brother was? Does he also return back to the Father? Well, Jesus doesn't give us the answer. Because only you can provide the answer if you are the older brother this morning. You see, this parable was spoken to the Pharisees, to the religious scribes of the day, and it's been spoken to you and to me today. This parable is a parable about us. It's a parable about our attitude to the Father. Do we resent or yearn after the Father's grace? Does the older brother come into the Father's house, into his arms, into his grace, or does he stay outside in his cold pride of self-righteousness and resentment? Only you know the answer to that question this morning. Let's, let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again today for just the insights of your word into our own hearts. Lord, there may be some older brother Christians here today who their whole lives have thought that they were sons of the living God and yet recognize today that they are simply just resentful slaves serving their own agenda and their own purposes in the context of the church. Lord, won't you be pleased to draw them in today? Won't you be pleased to help them to see the lostness of their sinful condition of pride that results in them being outside of your grace? That they too would repent and come in. Lord, there may be many younger brothers here this morning who started our lives with you as the younger brother, repenting in the pigsty of life and running back to you. But gradually over time, the younger brother in us has become an older brother. We entered by the gospel of grace, but we have continued in our Christian walk more and more becoming this older brother, seeking our approval and self-justification in the light of our good works. Oh Lord God, won't you bring us back to yourself as well today, we pray. May there be no one who leaves here today willfully, knowingly remaining outside of the grace of God. May we all see that the Father welcomes and desires both the religious older brother and the prodigal younger brother to come back into relationship with Him. So won't you be working in our hearts that which you know your word needs to expose, that we would seek to confess it, and that we would become people who truly yearn after the grace of God and are quick to extend that same grace to those around us who we think don't deserve it. Forgive us, we pray, Lord God, and help us in this to really grasp the depth of your love for us. For We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.